You're listening to episode 71 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of the Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 71, Musicpreneur Spotlight, Ari Hurstan. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping music professionals get clear on their goals and find the time to get it all done while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. I'll save my usual chit-chat for another time because I know a lot of you have been waiting for this interview. My sit-down with musician, singer-songwriter, author, actor, and educator, Ari Herstan. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the artist Forbes has deemed the poster child of DIY music, Ari Herstan is an independent musician who has played over 700 shows across the U.S., has opened for or toured with Ben Folds, Cake, and Ron Pope, among others, has performed on Ellen, and has had his music featured in countless TV shows, commercials, and films. He also leads the 1973 funk project Brass Roots District. Among the independent music community, he may be best known for his blog, Ari's Take, as well as the countless articles he's written for Digital Music News, Music Connection Magazine, Hypebot, and others, and has become a staple as a speaker at South by Southwest, CD Baby's DIY Musician Conference, and the ASCAP Music Expo, just to name a few. In recent years, he has disrupted the music industry's book world by creating the new go-to text for creating a sustainable career in this business. I'm excited to kick off the first of our Season 3 Spotlights with Ari, as he's a great example of what can happen when you stay true to and stay connected to your why. During our time together, Ari discussed his why, his mission as a musicpreneur, as well as how he handles his detractors and critics, and he even takes us behind the scenes of how he created his chart-topping, best-selling book, How to Make It in the New Music Business, and why he's decided to release the second edition, Now Out Wherever Books Are Sold. The rest, I'll let Ari tell you himself. Enjoy. All right, so I am here with the very well-known Ari Herstan. I'm so excited to finally have him on our podcast. Ari, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we get to catch up and chat on this format. And yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I know many of our listeners already know who you are, but if you could just tell us a little bit in your own words about your mission as a musician and, and why you do all of the things that you do. What's your, what's your why? Well, I started my music career as a singer-songwriter in Minneapolis. I was there for school. Um, I initially w- went to University of Minnesota to be a uh, high school band director, and I was uh, a classical trumpet major. I, I realized very quickly that I did not want to do that. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to play classical trumpet. I didn't want to teach high school. After that first year, I transferred to a music industry school where I was I learned music business and songwriting and uh, I was studying jazz trumpet. And as soon as I kind of finished there, I started performing out and uh, kind of basically started more or less a, a my music career. Uh, but the interesting thing was when I was in school learning music business, now mind you, this was 2005, all the classes that we had in music business were about how the industry had been up until that point. And they basically said, if you want to have a career in music, uh, you have to get signed to a record label. You have to go on tour. You have to get a booking agent and a manager and all of that stuff. And, you know, many of our classes were learning how to negotiate all of these, these record contracts and, and publishing contracts and all of that stuff. And I quickly realized when I got out of school, 
everything that I had been taught wasn't really how it was anymore. And um, <laughs> I was like sitting around waiting for this record deal that they told me was going to just magically appear for me because they basically were like, well, you can't really have a music career unless you have a record deal. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I want to have a music career. So where's my record deal? Right. Like, how do I get this? And it wasn't coming. So I'm like, I guess I could sit around and like keep waiting for this or I can just kind of figure out how to make a music career happen. So that's what I did. And it was a lot of trial and error for years of figuring that out all on, my, all on my own because none of the stuff they really taught me in school was really applicable. None of the books that were out were really applicable. None of that was really helpful. So I was kind of just learning as I went and made a ton of mistakes. But after some time, um, I had figured out how to, uh, I, at my peak in Minneapolis, I was drawing about 800 people to my local shows. I was selling out venues in a five-state region. I was touring nationally. I had songs placed on TV shows and in movies, and I was charting on iTunes, and I was starting to actually have a real music career, and word kind of spread. Um And, uh, you know, around Minneapolis initially, and then around um, just kind of the Midwest, I was, I was playing colleges and high schools and festivals and then around the country that, uh, that this guy, Ari, he's kind of doing a music career independently on his own, uh, without a manager and without a label. And if you have any questions, like go ask him. And so people started writing me messages on Facebook and just asking me all these uh, questions about how I was doing all of this. Just like, how'd you get your song on TV? Or, Hey, you know, I have this, this uh, contract I just got from this talent buyer. Is this any good? Or how do I go on this tour? And I was starting to get the same questions and I would get back to everybody, or at least I tried to. And then after a while, I just didn't have time Mm. to get back to everyone because word spread and my inbox was just flooded And so my brother is a web developer and my friend's a graphic design artist. And uh, we decided to put up, just create this blog, uh, my blog Ari's Take. And I basically just put up all of the most frequently uh, asked questions, the answers to those. And then inevitably more questions came in and I would answer those. But really it was anytime I learned something during my own career, I would write about it and I would pass along the information that I learned. And there really wasn't any other working musician that was doing that, that was sharing what they were learning in real time. Uh, And Mm. so anything I learned, I shared. And so, you know, because I don't believe in competition in the music industry. Um, I believe a rising tide lifts all ships. And it was honestly, I was seeing these bands in some of my favorite bands in Minneapolis and then around the country who were so incredibly talented but they couldn't figure out how to make a music career work for them. Either they just didn't understand the business or they got taken advantage of by a label or a manager for a myriad of reasons why they ended up breaking up. But every time one of these bands broke up or artists quit music, it broke my heart. And I'm like, I don't want to see these talented artists quit music or fail because they don't have the knowledge or the information. And so that became my mission and that became my why. I continued to run Ari's Take on the blog and continue to share all the information that I was learning because I wanted the musicians who I loved and just any musician who is talented and hardworking and passionate enough to succeed with a music career. I tried to pass along all the information I learned um, just to kind of share amongst the music community. You know, Ari's Take has been around for a better part of a decade now, guiding fellow musicians through these murky waters. What I also find so impressive about it, not just the uh, information that you provide, which is 
amazing, but also that you've stayed extremely consistent, rarely taking any hiatus from producing content from the blog. So when we work from our why, consistency usually isn't such an issue um, if you stay connected to your why. But but given all the different mm-hmm areas of your career and all the growth you've had. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that. How have you managed to stay so dedicated to the sure. blog? Um, and do you have a certain structure for turning out this content? Or like you said, because of the passion, is it just like coming out of you and you're just like, yep, I'll put it up on the blog. I mean, how does that, <laughs> how do you maintain yeah. the, the machine that is Ari's take? <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate all of that. And honestly, I haven't really had a, um, a routine or a method in, or I haven't felt I've been very consistent. You know, over the years, it's, it's uh, ebbed and flowed. And yeah, I started it in 2012. Um, and there was a time, a uh, period in time when I would be writing, yeah, a few articles a month for Ari's Take. But then I started writing for a lot of other publications. So for like three, four years, I was writing for Digital Music News and other publications uh, had asked me to write for them too. And so, you know, at at one point, um, I was cranking out maybe two to three articles a week uh, that some went on Ari's take, some went on Digital Music News, some went on other people's blogs or, you know, Music Connection Magazine or whatever. Um, And then as other things in my career picked up and I just didn't have as much time for that, uh, it slowed down. I don't write for other publications as consistently or as often anymore. And honestly, with Ari's Take, I haven't written, I haven't published an article in Ari's Take uh, for over a month or so, maybe a month and a half at this point. And so I'd like to get into a better routine. Uh, and because there's always something to share, it's just kind of taking that time to do that. And so Ari's Take has evolved now into an entire uh, music business education company. Mm. And now I have a few people who work for me. And so we have developed it uh, more than just a blog. And we've created uh, Ari's Take Academy, which is an online uh, school where we have three different courses that go much deeper. And it's much more involved and, and very hands on with me and the instructors and the students. And then obviously with the book, the book is now in its second edition. And then I've done some speaking stuff. And then not to mention, I'm still a musician and I still I still songwrite every week and I still play shows and I still put out music. And so uh, it's kind of finding that balance. Absolutely. That's a constant battle and struggle. There's never enough time in the day. And so one of my goals <laughs> for the coming year is to be actually more consistent with what I write on Ari's take. Honestly, because so many people tell me how valuable it is to them and, and how much it helps them. And so I, I do really want to keep it going uh, because it, it it seems to be helping so many people. Absolutely. And a lot of people would start out altruistically in that way. And then when when that starts to pay off and other things take off, it's like, okay, guys, thanks. But like, I've got other things now. Um, <laughs> and so you can definitely tell it is a passion of yours. I've also noticed when someone such as yourself is outspoken and bold enough to take on certain topics that maybe other people don't feel comfortable shining a light on or or feel like they don't want to come right out and say it, whether it's something to do with the Me Too movement that you've also covered and come out about, or whether it's just critiquing um, you know, a platform or an or another company that 
you know, most people don't want to come out and say, Hey, I didn't like this about it. You know, you've, you've definitely given your critiques and your best and worst, uh, you know, pros and cons of different, Mm -hmm. different platforms that you've used in services. Mm -hmm. But when you take on that role, I'm sure you've come across your detractors or even, even people that may just have misinterpreted what you've shared. So how do you, how do you handle that and how, you know, not let it stop you from saying, no, this is my view. This is my take. I'm going to say it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. I have, um, I have made, um, a few, uh, I don't want to maybe say enemies over the years, (laughs) but a few people who have not been thrilled with what I have written about their company. Um, because that's the thing at the end of the day, um, there are, I think, so many people, especially artists, are afraid of uh, offending anyone or getting blacklisted, whatever that even means, or you know, burning bridges or whatever. My North Star has always been, let me find the most valuable resources and let me get the truth for independent musicians. So as long as I stay true to that, I can't miss. And so I know that like, I don't care if there's a company out there that and that I'm going to piss off because I trash them because I think they're they're taking advantage of musicians or they have a horrible business model or that they um, are just not delivering on their promises and that they are uh, screwing screwing over their musician clients. I don't care that I'm going to piss them off and they can come at me and they have come at me and they've threatened lawsuits against me. They've gotten into Twitter battles with me. Uh, they've tried to you know, tarnish my name with other publications that I've written for or whatever. And at the end of the day, I've always won <laughs> because like, yes, I can be extremely critical, but really what it comes down to is I take my role in certain cases of, of reviewing companies um, or pointing out where companies are missing the mark. And, or that's a nice way of putting, uh, potentially taking advantage of uh, their clients. I make sure that I get all my facts correct. I act as an investigative journalist, basically. Like I spend a lot of time on some of these articles investigating, uh, getting stories from from many artists and, and managers and, and clients of the company that I'm researching. And then I'll, I'll sit down with the owner or the CEO of, of the company and I'll get their take too. And I will get all the information, I'll distill it, and then I'll come up with what I think about them. And there have been a few instances where I have found that uh, companies are acting very nefariously and that they are taking advantage of musicians. And if that happens, like nothing pisses me off more than when I see a company uh, blatantly taking advantage of their musician clients or trying to shake musicians down for money. Like promoters that do that, pay to play pisses me off. And I've called out a bunch of pay to play promoters. Um, there have been some PR companies. I, I had stories from artists saying that. This PR company got them to pay them $4,000 and then they disappeared and they did nothing for them. Mm. And I started hearing that over and over and over again. And so then I went deep and I, I researched and I investigated and I, I, you know, called up the company. I had two calls with the founder of the company and, and in the end I'm like, yeah, they are not just doing a bad job. They are actually, um, neglecting their artists and they are stealing their money and this is not okay. And no one was really speaking out about it because 
the, every artist I talked to thought, well, I just thought it was just me. I mean, they have all these great testimonials on their website. And I thought I, you know, it's just my case. And so I didn't really feel like I could tell anyone or I didn't know who to talk to or who I could tell, like I'm small potatoes, like I'm some no name artist. And, you know, so I almost feel it's my responsibility and my duty uh, when there are these companies out there that are taking advantage of musicians to call them out and to make sure that 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 doesn't happen. Because, you know, I am a musician and I have this empathy and I have the musician's empathy and, and I feel for the musicians. I, I understand what how hard it is and we're all just trying to figure it out. And then there's some companies in there that claim to have the answers and then they uh, take their money. And, and if they don't deliver on it, they need to be called out on there should be some transparency there. But uh, Ditto is one of these companies, the distribution company where I, uh, you know, I included my first distribution review and, and I was actually wrote fairly favorable about them. And I got wind from a, a publisher hit me up and was like, hey, um, all these distributors and labels aren't paying us our proper royalties. Um, you know, and I'm like, well, that's concerning. Let me look into it. And so I sent all of these distribution companies and labels uh, the identical email just saying, hey, I got tipped off by a publisher saying that you're not uh, counting properly to them. Uh, curious to know what's going on. And every distributor got back to me very respectfully and was like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Here's what's, go- here's what's working. Okay. And then ditto. Uh, freaked the fuck out. And uh, the CEO of Ditto, like uh, CC Paul, who's the owner of Digital Music News, because that's what I was writing for at the time, like trying to, he's like, this guy, you know, you're trying to blackmail us. And Paul, I will never <laughs> advertise with you again unless you fire Ari. And I cannot believe the audacity that he asked me this kind of a, a question or that he comes at me like this and this and this. And I'm like, whoa, dude. I mean, it's like if you have nothing to hide, right. uh, you would not get this defensive right. because no other company got this defensive. And I literally copy and pasted the email that I sent to everyone. And so I'm like, OK, well, maybe you're just having a bad day. And so I like respond. I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going on, man. I just respond. I, I literally copy and paste the email. So and then he he doubled down and he freaked out. And then he started threatening me on Twitter and then he, he just went berserk. And um, and so Paul, I mean, to his credit, he, I mean, he was CC'd on the email. He's like, he's like, fuck it, we're going to print his email. So he printed his email. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then like when you search Ditto Music Review, that's what pops up is this like extremely Jesus. unprofessional email. And like the, we then reviewed the company. And over the years, various people at the company have got – because if you search – did a music review, like my articles are the first things that pop up and they're not favorable, <laughs> obviously. And uh, cause I'm like, you don't want this CEO, uh, representing you. And if you're going to use them as a company, like this kind of attitude seeps into every aspect of the company. And to be honest, I had gotten more complaints from artists that had written in, um, about their distributor, uh, more complaints about Ditto than any other company out there. And I just, I kind of kept it in, you know, in my vault and just like, well, uh, this is good to know. And I would ask them about it sometimes. But when he just went nuts on me, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to to print all of these. And, and I'm going to really uh, show the transparency that a lot of artists are struggling with them as a company. And so over the years, I've had different marketing directors at Ditto hit me up. I've had the new artist relations rep hit me up, asking me to change my review and saying, hey, like, can we start fresh? I'm like, 
absolutely can start fresh. If, if your CEO, Lee, will apologize to me for dragging me through the mud on Twitter and trying to get me fired and freaking out. And of course he won't. He's, uh, he holds on to his pride and, right. or, uh, he, he just like, will, he, he cannot, um, right. he just won't apologize. Uh, I'll look at it objectively and, but objectively I still continue to get complaints from your artists. So right. not only is your CEO an asshole who won't apologize for dragging me through the mud and continuing to threaten me. So it's my take and this is my blog. And if your guy is being an asshole to me, like, I don't have to be nice to you. Like, <laughs> this is my blog. <laughs> and uh, also, your clients have come to me because they can't get a response from you and yeah. that you messed up their release and you they've asked you to fix it and you it's been three months or other clients have come to me because they can't get paid from you or they've st- you stopped paying them. And like, this is legitimate. My goal for Ari's take is to shine a light on all of these uh, companies that are taking advantage of musicians, but also to shine a light on the resources that artists can use. And really, at the end of the day, the whole mission of Ari's Take is to support independent musicians. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. I think it's, you know, it's a real lesson in, you know, we say this on the podcast a lot. If you can really identify your why and stay true to it and remind yourself of it, because, you know, life happens and we we get distracted and sometimes we forget why we are in this in um at all. Uh, I think that because you've been able to keep that at the forefront, it makes your decision-making a whole lot easier. It's like, I don't have to think about this. I don't have to sit there and ponder, Mm -hmm. Ooh, did I do the right thing? Or is this the right course of action for my career? It's like, no, if it's aligned with your why, then there's your answer. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's Mm -hmm. what this is all about. It also answers, you know, one of my other questions was going to be as your career has grown, especially with the success of the book that we'll get to, you know, having other people on your team that you have to answer to in terms of publishers or other partnerships. I was going to ask if it gets, you know, more dicey in terms of what you can speak out about or what you can say, or especially in this, you know, cancel culture that many people are are feeling. Um, But to me, and this, this is my take, you know, the cancel culture happens when people aren't being true to who they are and aren't being, you know, moral up, upstanding citizens. But aside from that, I mean, I'm sure it does happen occasionally where something is taken out of context. Do sure. you worry as your as as your career grows, and do you uh, ever worry about something that you've written or saying something, especially in a platform like Twitter, anything getting taken out of context and it costing you, or do you still feel that? you know, no, as long as I'm being true to my why and I know where I'm coming from, it will all work out. I mean, sure. Anyone who has somewhat of a public status and is in, in on any level of public figure, which I have become, we think about. And, and I guess I know where I stand um, ethically and I feel very confident that I'm speaking my truths in a way that is that is honest, transparent, and respectful. I'm also not running right. for political office, and so there's there's there are different standards. And so, yeah, are there things on Twitter that I've said that people could take the wrong way? Hundred percent. I'm sure I've tweeted thousands of times over the years, and I'm sure somebody could dig something up that'd be like that if I was running for president or something like that, they could like blow up and turn into a negative ad against me and they would, it would probably <laughs> work. Um, we don't know. <laughs> but like, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
Or uh, you know, yeah. yeah, actually, you're you're totally correct. <laughs> um, that's that's true. Um, so yeah, I mean, have I drunkenly tweet? Absolutely. Like who hasn't? Uh, <laughs> have I said some dumb shit on Twitter? Yeah, of course. Um, but like. I feel very confident that um, I have kind of had a um, the the driving force behind everything that I've done, and the guiding light for me has been um, very honest and true from the beginning. I think if something gets taken out of context, I think the the breadth of my my work. Most people know me well enough and have read enough of my articles and tweets and Instagram posts and stories and emails that. I think if if one person took yeah. a tweet or something out of context, right. I feel right. like I would have thousands of people that would come to my defense and be like, nah, that's not actually him because I've been following him for five years and I, I know him now. And stuff that I've written that might have been critical or negative about other people or other parties or companies or right. anything like that. Um, you know, I, I also take that very seriously because I don't want to unfairly cancel someone else, you know, like I don't, I, I know that there is power in the words and power in what I publish and write. So that's why I'm not quick to judge either. And so when I do my investigative pieces or when I am looking into a company, um, or a person or a promoter or something like that, um, that's why I take my time with it. And that's why I'm not quick to fire off uh, that, that they're doing something um, negatively just because I heard a couple comments from a couple musicians this one time, you know? And so I also take that seriously on the other side. Um, when I, when I do call people right. out and I do call companies out, uh, I know it can have effect. I have put a company out of business and I don't regret it. Um, like I think they deserve to go out of business because they were taking advantage of musicians. And so I stand by that article still to this day. And I stand by them needing to reevaluate and take a long, hard look in the mirror at what they were actually doing and reconnect with what their why was. And their why seemed to be make as much money for me right now at any expense and any cost and right. not caught up with them. Right. And uh, yeah. And and I think, you know, what I'm hearing and I'm sure our listeners are taking away is that, you know, just like any other entrepreneur, you know, which, which is why it's so great to have you on this podcast, because our focus and our why is to help artists see themselves as a musicpreneur, is that you're somebody who, like we said, has defined their why very clearly from the beginning. And, you know, it's hard to predict as an entrepreneur where your success can take you, as I'm sure listening to your story in the beginning when you decided, okay, I don't want to be a high school band teacher, but I'm going to go off and do my own, you know, become my own musician, uh, you know, build my career as a musician. Uh, I'm sure maybe I'm wrong that you didn't at that moment say, and I'm going to be a writer and an interviewer and an educator and an actor and an author, (laughs) and I'm going to do all of these things. But as part of being an entrepreneur, you know, you, you define your why you take your steps, you get messy. As you said, you know, you made all the mistakes early on Mm -hmm. to, to figure out what works and what doesn't. And then you build and on top of that and build on top of that. And now when you sat down to, to write your book, uh, how to make it in the new music business, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, congratulations, has done tremendously well over the last three years. I know tens of thousands of copies, 
top of the the, the lists on on all mm-hmm. of the websites. Forbes deemed you the poster child of DIY music. You know, really, um, kudos on on how this has uh, resonated with audiences. When you first sat down, I know now it's in its second edition, and I, I have some questions around that as well. But when you, as you've built your career and you've let each phase kind of um, inform the next phase of your career, when you decided it was time to write this book, did you feel overwhelmed in attacking this project, or did you already have a vision of how you like how you wanted this book to look and the the pieces you wanted to cover? Because there's so much in it. I mean, I I've read it and. Obviously, I've seen my first thought was, and I went to school a few years earlier than you um, at Drexel. I was actually part of their first uh, first graduating class of their music business program. And we used uh-huh. Donald Passman's book as our textbook. <laughs> and now years later, yours is being used um, in that same way. And when I read it, I remember thinking like, right. oh, this is this is the the new generation of Donald Passman. That was my my take on it a very long-winded question of me asking yeah um, no I, I kind of see where, where we are no, yeah, I, how, I how did you attack this because sure. that's a no one's knocked Donald Passman off their pedestal <laughs> for quite a long time so what yeah. did you have that kind of goal in mind when you sat to write it or was it just like I've got something to say I'm gonna let this pour out like what was that process like sure so um Yes, to step back a little bit, I, I have done a lot in my career, and and um, a lot of this was not planned <laughs> um, from the from the very beginning. I always tell people to, um, especially musicians, like the most important thing you can do for your career is to set goals. You, then you can reverse engineer those goals and know how to how to reach those goals. Mm. And you can't really achieve anything if you're not aiming for anything. And so I, um, early on, yes, it was just, I'm just a musician and that's what I did and made a hundred percent of my income just from music. And that's all I did. And I said no to every other opportunity coming out to LA. I was surrounded by all these creative people and all of these opportunities presented themselves to me. And it's, it's actually very challenging to start a music career in LA and the way that I functioned, uh, and operated my music career in Minneapolis and around the country didn't work in LA. It was a very different beast here. And so I had to kind of get creative with how I was going to survive in LA and make and make my career work. And so I then started saying yes to opportunities, understanding where my strengths are and, and my passions and saying yes to those opportunities that aligned with my strengths and passions. And so, you know, I think a lot of musicians get caught up in saying, well, I need to be a full-time musician. That is, that is the goal. It's like, well, maybe, but but I would say it's almost better to become a full-time creative or at least spend your time doing something you really enjoy and then that you love. And there is no panel of judges that is standing there and they are judging you uh, if you don't make 100% of your income just from your music revenue. Like so many successful musicians have multiple businesses and revenue streams. I mean, Dre has beats. You think anyone is scoffing that he's not a full-time musician because he's making a billion dollars from his headphones brand? Of course not. That's absurd. <laughs> you know, it's like Jared Leto is also an actor. You think anyone's saying, well, haha, he's not a full-time musician? No. Like that's the thing. And so it's like it's utilizing your own your your strengths and your in your creative talents to make it work. So for me, um, one of my passions, you know, early on, yes, was was sharing the information. And so 
when Ari's take started to take off, musicians actually came to me and uh, years into it, and they're like, so I've read all of your blogs, and it's very helpful. However, I am struggling right now for, for direction and guidance, and I need something to connect the dots and to kind of give me step-by-step guidance. Uh, what books do you recommend? Now, I've read most of the music business books out there. You mentioned Donald Passman. Yeah, I've read his book three times. Like everyone has. It's right. like that was, you know, the Bible of the industry for many years, but it's 25 years old. Right. And so the industry has changed a little bit in right. 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, you know, to be honest, there really isn't a book I can recommend to you right now. And the interesting position that I was in was – I not only just was writing for for Ari's take, but because I was writing for Digital Music News, uh, it gave me access to sit down and talk with virtually anyone in the music industry that I wanted to talk to and interview and get their take and their information and learn from them. And I'm obsessed with learning and then also obsessed with sharing that information. And so just from writing for DMN and Ari's take and everything else – I was I literally interviewed hundreds of people on every corner of the industry from musicians and managers to uh, labels and and booking agents and music supervisors and startup founders. And I interviewed so many people and learning what was working for them. And so I was getting all of these interesting stories, um, especially from musicians and managers about how they were building careers in extremely innovative ways, oftentimes in ways that didn't exist even five years ago. And no one was talking about it. No one was telling these stories. Billboard wasn't writing about it. They were writing about how many records Adele sold or Taylor Swift's right. Love Life or all of that bullshit that no working musician really cares about. All the musicians really care about, like, how do I make my career happen for me? How do I make this thing work? And I was hearing all about these stories that no one was talking about. And I was actually connecting the dots and figuring out, okay, this is this is how it works. I've, I've, I'm the only person on planet Earth <laughs> who is a working musician, who is also a blogger, who now also has access to talk to virtually anyone I want in the industry and get their information. And so I almost felt it was my duty and responsibility mm. to write the book right. because like a lot of the books like Donald Passon's book are written by lawyers. They don't know what it's like to be a musician. They don't feel it. They don't know what it's like to release a song and for no one to listen to it or to for a month into it to have less than a thousand streams on Spotify or, you know, less than uh, 3000 views on YouTube when they just dropped $5,000 on this music video. And they're like, they, they don't feel that, that you can't just say that to a lawyer and, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, okay, well that sucks. No, no, no. You don't understand. Like what being in the studio, working for months, uh, writing and then recording and then working on the mixes and the takes and going through that process of having to fund it. And then finally getting the mixes back and working through mixes and then finally getting the masters back and then actually putting it out into the world for them to hear deafening silence. Right. And like, I mean, like nobody cares. It's like no lawyer or consultant or blogger or whatever can really understand what that feels like unless they felt it themselves. And so I felt that and, and thousands of other musicians have felt that. And so I think like one of the reasons why people have connected to my blog and now the book so so much is because they feel like I'm them. I'm right. in it with them and they understand that 
I'm coming from an honest, truthful place with this musician's empathy. Like, I get it. I truly get it. Donald Passman doesn't get it. Right. Like, he is a great writer and he is a great attorney and that's awesome. And I learned a lot from his book, but he can't connect with the new musician. Like he doesn't understand what artists are going through. Right. And so, you know, uh, when I, that's, that's why I decided to write the book, why I felt I needed to write the book. And, um, you know, thankfully a publisher agreed and we were able to get a publisher to fund it and put it out. And the reason that I, I wanted to go with a, a major publisher and not put it out on my own was because I felt that this book needed to get into schools it needed to be taught in schools. And I wanted it in every bookstore in the country. And right. I knew that I couldn't do that by putting it out on my own. Um, I wanted to get it in Barnes and Noble because that's how I discovered Donald Passman's book was I walked into a Barnes and Noble and I saw it on the shelf. I'm like, music business. Sure. Right. And I'm like, I want my book there. Yeah, I want my book there. And yeah, I want my book being taught, like you said, uh, as a textbook at, at all the music programs. And so I'm like, I, I need a major publisher to do this, to, to get me in these schools. And so that's what we did. And thankfully and luckily, so many schools have actually adopted it and are teaching my book as their their new um, textbook as a curriculum. And it's it's in Barnes and Nobles and bookstores. And so it's been awesome to kind of see that that happen. And um, and yeah, and now my book has bumped Donald Passman yeah. off the chart. I'm not off the chart. Uh, currently, my, my book yeah. is number one. In two. <laughs> yeah, right. He's still there. He has he has 25 years of reputation that he's going off of, and so like I I think he'll be okay. He'll be yeah. He's gonna be fine. <laughs> we're right. we're like one and two, yeah. and we keep trading off one and two on the music business charts. And currently, because I've been promoting the second edition, I'm number one. Uh, but right. maybe he'll be number one tomorrow, and that's just kind of what happens on those Amazon <laughs> trending charts. But um, and there's a there's a place for his book, and like not to not to bash Bassman. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, and his book is great. Sure. Um, there's definitely a place for him, but it was like his book kind of started at the point where you get the record deal. And in like chapter one is like, build your team. You need a manager. Right, exactly. And like my book starts at when you, when you decide to become a musician and you start right. your music career, right. my book basically takes you from that point up until the point when you get a record deal. And then you can open Donald Passman's book and read his book and be like, oh, now I know how to negotiate the record deal. But like his book isn't going to tell you how right. to run a music career. His book is going to tell you how to negotiate the, the record contracts. And, and that's okay. Like some people need that and that's totally fine. And that's what hit the point of his book is. Well, exactly. Which is why it was our textbook when I was going for music business, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. I was looking to be the person at the labels or to run my own company. But now where we've evolved, where schools are teaching you how to be a full-time musician, um, mm -hmm. as you said, now that perspective um, needs to be colored in. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, with all the knowledge that you had to share, you know, luckily you had the publisher there and that team, was it overwhelming to break it down to organize how the information would be laid out? Or did you already kind of have envision how you wanted to sure. communicate all of this information? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of the philosophies had been worked out over the years of writing uh, all of these blog articles. And so I, I had the philosophies worked out in terms of um, laying it out. 
Uh, yeah, putting the outline together and the table of contents, uh, that, that took some time. I couldn't actually get the book deal until I had that done. So that was, that was pre-book deal. I had to uh, put together a book proposal, and in the book proposal was the outline, the table of contents, a couple sample chapters, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I had the book deal, I basically – I had a, a year to write the book before I had to turn it in. I got the deal in January, and I had to turn it in December 15th. And uh, come November 1st, I only had 20 percent written because uh, life happens and I was doing all this other stuff. And so that became yeah. a little overwhelming. Yeah. And um, and so that's like I started to, to uh, freak out a little bit. And so that's why I had to I went on a, a month long uh, writing retreat uh, in New Orleans. And I, I had like I had to get out of L.A. and I uh, went off the grid and just kind of wrote for that month straight and finished the book and turned it in. Um and I did the same thing for the second edition because um, I found that, you know, I, I, through this process of, of writing the book, I found uh, that's how I work best is when I have dedicated time to sit down and actually write and, and, and just focus on the creation process and not have to manage that with emails or with um, show prep or booking or, or anything else that I was, that I was working on at the time. Um, I could just, and no, no meetings would interrupt it. Nothing like that. Like just focus every single day on writing. And I was fortunate that I was able to, to be able to do that. How did you, I mean, obviously things have changed. Their platforms are ever evolving, different strategies come out, but you could have written it five years after the next one, a year after the next one. Like what was it your publisher saying like, Hey, we need a new one. Or how did you know, like, this was the time it's time to write an updated version. So I try to stay ahead of the curves and the trends, and I try to see where the industry is heading so I can be slightly ahead of everything once the book hits the shelves. Because as a book about the music business, as you can imagine, <laughs> things change very quickly. And so with the book, I tried to kind of make sure I didn't put anything in there that could be outdated the second it hits the shelves. I try to read the tea leaves. And, and uh, there were a couple instances in the first edition where I missed. Just for one small example, um, I turned in the final edits in August. It was printing and it came out in December. And in October, uh, Vine died. If you remember the, the six-second video platform, Vine. Now, mm-hmm. thankfully, I didn't spend much time in the book on Vine. I just referenced it a couple times here and there. And there was two pages that I wrote about Vine. And so, you know, yeah, that was outdated the second it hit the, hit the shelves because <laughs> I was died. But like, you know, uh, that was one of the, the very few um, cases where something like as drastic as that um, happened. Sure. But other things kind of were evolving. And so I tried to stay ahead of it. And, you know, about a year ago when I started to write the second edition and we kind of spent the last year working on it, I started to see things shift and evolve. And I keep a running list of notes. Um, and so anytime I see something new and exciting or learn a new story or someone does something super innovative, or I just get questions from readers, like people literally write to me every day, like send me Instagram DMs and they tell me you know, how the book has helped them or they have questions about it. And I keep a running list of things that need clarifying, Uh, If I want to go deeper on a certain topic or philosophy or I need to kind of rethink something – and once my note list kind of got a little bit long and, right. and I realized I'm like, oh yeah, this is, it's kind of time to do this. Now, I think the goal is to update the book every three years. And so for as long as I live, ideally, I will update this book every three years. 
And that's kind of what the schedule is right now. And so um, the book, yeah, came out almost almost to the day, three years after the first edition came out. Thank you for explaining that process to us and giving us behind the scenes, because I know if our listeners haven't grabbed it already, they'll definitely be grabbing it for the holiday. Uh, it's a great gift uh, to give yourselves and to give the fellow musicians in your life because it is so needed and it's a very um, unique perspective and, and something that every musician can relate to. Um, Thank you. If you could go back and tell yourself one lesson, what would it be? Write more songs. <laughs> I think my uh, the lesson that I learned very early on was I started to put out music and release music and start my career before I was ready. My first album only my first album had 12 songs on it. Why did it have 12 songs on it? Because I had only written 12 songs at the time. And I thought, <laughs> I'm like, wow, these are great. I'll put these out. No, I should have written 100 songs. And I'm a singer songwriter. And that's what songwriters do. You write a lot of songs. And, and of course, those first 12 songs were not very good. Uh, very few people uh, get, you know, the first songs they ever write are that good. So I, that was a lesson that I learned that uh, wondering why my career wasn't moving as fast as I thought it should be. Well, my songs just weren't very good. Mm. And I wasn't, um, I, I needed to work on the music a bit more early on before starting the business. And I think that's something that every musician, um, especially the younger early ones, don't start your career before you're ready. Mm. And uh, really, you have to work on the music first. That's that's the most important aspect of every music career. I think we lose track of that with all the business stuff that we talk about that needs to get done. But at the end of the day, people aren't going to connect with you if they don't connect with your music. And if your music isn't competitive and it isn't up to the standards that your potential fans are used to, they're not going to connect with you. So uh, the lesson that I learned early on was I have to become great first before starting the, the business. Three musicians, living or dead, who would you invite to dinner? Oh, man. Uh, Dave Matthews. Uh, he's one of uh, he was one of my biggest influences early on. And he's just a quirky, goofy, goofy dude. That would be awesome. Let's see. Miles Davis. Nice. He that would be a very interesting conversation. And he is just um, I got the opportunity to speak with Herbie Hancock about uh, kind of his experiences with Miles and the wisdom that Miles imparted on him. Oh, wow. And I'm like, man, if I could have just <laughs> been a yeah. fly in that wall, <laughs> in that room, when Miles and oh, Herbie, and Miles was imparting his, his knowledge into Herbie, I'm like, poof. So uh, Miles would wow. be one. And let's see, another um, – probably Beyonce <laughs> because she's just the, the queen of the world. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm just such a fan. And I also, uh, I think she's brilliant and has done some just like the, the movement that she has built up and everything she's done. So, um, yeah, those are probably my three. Nice. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Stop time. Um, there's just seems never enough time. And, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would stop time and then I would um, do all the cool things that I'd want to do and then start time back up. <laughs> Pack Morris style. I like it. Yes, yes. <laughs> time out. And so every week, every week on this podcast, um, I try to give my listeners an actionable, usually it's with a downloadable worksheet or some type of homework to go home with. But when I give these interviews, I like to turn to our guests and have you give our listeners an actionable? What is something you would like our listeners to go do this week? 
Great question. Um, I would encourage you to sit down and write out your six-month, one-year, and five-year goals. And they should be concrete goals, tangible goals, and goals that you absolutely can foresee yourself reaching and make sure that they are concrete, not, I just want to be a full-time musician. No, that's too elusive. Uh, you know, a, a concrete goal could be, I want to sell out this 500 cap venue in my hometown and this is the name of the venue and, and that's my, my six-month goal. That's a very feasible goal and that's a real concrete goal or I want to get a, a song on a TV show within a year. That's a feasible concrete goal and then you can you, you lay out these goals and then you can reverse engineer them and then you can set up a pathway on how you're going to achieve those goals. I love that. And to all our listeners, if you happen to want to do that with the 2020 Rockstar Life Planner, you know where to find that. Uh, my actionable for all of us is to please go do your career a huge favor and go get Ari Herstan's How to Make It in the New Music Business, Volume 2. Ari, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. If you need to get in touch with Ari, and you should very much want to, subscribe to all of his channels and find out more about him and his amazing band, Brass Roots. You can find all of those links in our show notes. Ari, thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Not much left to say after that. Again, thank you to Ari for taking the time to speak with us, and many congratulations for all the success the book brings. Here's to another bestseller, which I have no doubt it will be. If you'd like to order his book, and if you'd like to carry out his goal-setting actionable with the 2020 Rockstar Life Planner, links to both books, as well as all the links to Ari's resources, including his blog Ari's Take, his courses through Ari's Take Academy, and his music with Brass Roots District can be found in the show notes. Head on over to therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP71. I thank you for tuning in as I'm excited to celebrate the season three kickoff with you today. This episode was the second episode released today. The first was episode 70, How to Get Rid of Shiny Object Syndrome. So if you missed it, be sure to go back and give it a listen. I hope Ari has inspired you to get clear on your why and your next goal or goals. If you'd like help getting clarity on these crucial pieces, as well as your next steps throughout January and beyond, I invite you to join me this December during the week between Christmas and New Year's, December 26th to 31st at Planchella. I'm hosting a free five-day virtual planning event where I'll share everything I've learned over the years, not only about planning and visualizing our goals, but also how to set yourself up for success amidst the mess of building your career. It will all be hosted in a private pop-up Facebook group where each day will consist of a one to two hour workshop followed by sporadic check-ins to hold you accountable. You'll also have 30 days to watch the replays. My main goal with this series will be to provide you with digestible, fun, actionable, and manageable directives above all else. If you'd like to join us, I'm now accepting RSVPs. Head on over to the show notes page to learn more. Again, that's therockstaradvocate.com forward slash EP71. Until next time, Rockstar, have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next week so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.